Hi, I'm Dr. Lakeland Hogan, gerontologist and caregiver advocate for Home Instead, and you're listening to Empowering Professionals in Aging, a podcast and webinar series presented by Home Instead and hosted by the American Society on Aging. This series was created for those who are dedicated to serving the aging population and who have a passion for learning. Working together, increasing our knowledge, and understanding the various perspectives of these issues will help unite professionals in our common mission to better serve older adults and the families who care for them. Throughout the series, we will cover a variety of topics, including medication management, end of life, technology, mental health, financial exploitation, and other important issues in aging. We hope you find today's episode enlightening. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining us for today's webinar, Addressing Ageism, Part 1, Societal View of Ageism, presented by Home Instead and hosted by the American Society on Aging. And now I would like to welcome our presenters, Lakeland Eichenberger, Ph.D., is a gerontologist and caregiver advocate at Home Instead. She educates professionals in aging, families, and communities on the unique challenges that older adults face and the resources available to help them thrive. Lakeland has worked in the private and public sectors of senior care services and has spoken at national and international conferences on caregiving and aging, and she serves as a resource to the media. She is a board member of the National Alliance for Caregiving, board chair for the Dreamweaver Foundation, and vice chair of the Alzheimer's Association's Dementia Care Provider Roundtable. And Molly Carpenter, MS, an author, speaker, trainer, and family caregiver. A gerontologist by training, she serves as workforce director at Home Instead, where she works with a team responsible for ensuring that the Home Instead network of 50,000 care professionals worldwide have the resources necessary to effectively provide quality care in the home and understand the importance of their work, enhancing the lives of those they serve. She brings years of professional, personal and professional senior care experience and training to families navigating aging and chronic conditions such as dementia. Her professional experience includes work in skilled nursing facilities, adult day wellness programs, and continuum of care communities. We are so excited to have you both here with us today. Thank you, Victoria. Hello, everyone. This is Lakeland. I'm kicking us off today. Uh, So excited that you've joined us for a really important topic, ageism. And this is actually a two-part series. So today, Molly and I are talking about ageism in our Society. And then next month, our colleagues April and Amanda will be talking about ageism in healthcare specifically. So I hope that you enjoyed today's webinar, but also sign up for next month so you get both of this two part series. So let's dive into ageism and society. You know, unfortunately, ageism is ingrained in our society and our culture, whether we like to admit it or not. And the way older adults are referenced and depicted in the media, popular culture, and even in health and beauty industries helps to paint a picture that aging is something to dread or make light of. And these depictions are also reinforced um, or help to reinforce that negative mindset and stereotypes that we tend to have about growing older. But as professionals, especially those of us that work in the aging field, we need to be aware of how this ageism impacts our work 
with the older adults that we interact with every day. And also, we need to recognize opportunities to reinforce positive views of aging. And we're going to talk a lot about that throughout the next hour. Because I believe if, if we can recognize ageism in our society and ourselves in the work we do every day, then we can start to take small steps to break down those stereotypes, uh, break down that ageism and start to celebrate aging and really make ultimately our society a better place to age where it is celebrated and looked forward to. So I know that's a lofty goal. I don't think we can achieve all of that quite in a one-hour presentation, but hopefully this information that we share with you today will help us all kind of move in that direction. So quickly, here are our objectives. We're going to talk about ageism in, today, in today's society. We're going to talk about ageism in the media and popular culture. We're going to examine our own tendencies towards ageism and then recognize opportunities to help people age in a way that diminishes ageism. So again, some lofty objectives, but I think that we'll cover a lot of great and helpful information. Uh, and then, of course, I always love to leave um, you know, resources at the end of each webinar, and so we'll do that uh, today as well. We'll leave you with some resources where you can go and learn more about ageism. So first, let's talk about the prevalence of ageism. You know, ageism, ageism is something that is starting to be studied more and more. And I came across this recent journal article in JAMA. Uh, it's called Experiences of Everyday Ageism and the Health of Older U.S. Adults. And really, this study looked at the prevalence of, of everyday ageism among older adults age 50 to 80 years old in the U.S., and looked at the associations with health. And they found that 93.4% of this uh, cohort, you know, ages 50 to 80, experience one or more forms of ageism every day. Every single day they're experiencing ageism. And that's pretty much all of them, 93%. That's, that's a lot. And, and so I, I just kind of took a snapshot of one of the graphics from this study because I thought it was really interesting. So that first line at the very top, it's that stat that I pulled out there, that 93.4% uh, of individuals are experiencing any form of everyday ageism. And then they looked at three specific categories. So ageist messages, ageism in interpersonal interactions, and then that internalized ageism. So how they kind of view it themselves. And so if you look at that graphic, um, the second, or sorry, uh, the, the first um, of those three categories, the ageist messages, if you look at those kind of various categories, people are showing uh, that they're seeing ageism in jokes uh, that are about old age. Um, you know, and also, in instances where older adults are suggested to be unattractive or undesirable. So those are the kind of messages that they're interacting uh, with on a daily basis when it comes to ageist messages. And then if we look at that next category of interpersonal interactions, there were um, you know, a number of things that popped up, but the one that was most frequent was that people assume that older adults have difficulty with cell phones and computers. And that kind of made me pause and think about 
the older adults in my life? And, you know, do I just assume they don't know how to use a cell phone or assume they don't know how to use computers? Um, you know, are we making those types of assumptions? And then there's that last category of internalized ageism. And the one that stood out amongst that category significantly was uh, that having health problems is part of getting older. Um, and, you know, if you look at the other categories, um, people experience that internalized form of ageism far more than the others. But the other two were feeling lonely uh, and feeling depressed, sad, or worried as, as a part of getting older. And um, that, you know, hurt my heart to see that people think that that's, you know, a normal part of aging. That happens to everyone because we know that, you know, that's not a normal part of aging. And so uh, there's a lot of, again, these uh, prevalences of ageism, these stereotypes uh, that exist out there, uh, these misconceptions about growing older. And so if you uh, are like me and like to kind of geek out on these types of studies, I did include the link there so you can go and read more about it. But, you know, as we talk about ageism, it's really important um, to talk about the definitions because uh, that can kind of help set the stage. So, we're going to go over that here on the next slide. So when you think about it, aging is really dynamic, and it includes all processes, including growth, loss, maintenance, adaption, adaptation. Uh, it's really multidimensional and multidirectional. It's also a process that involves kind of contradictory mechanisms that are all happening simultaneously. So as we as we experience, um, as we go through life and as we get older, we experience decline, growth, and maintenance, and all at varying degrees. And so, um, you know, over time, it is true that as we age, our physical bodies uh, tend to decline. And that's the result of senescence. And that's the term that uh, describes the process of biological aging that leads to the gradual deterioration of function in cells and organisms. And this process of aging is universal. You know, it's a lifelong biological process. And technically, we start aging the moment we're born. Um, and we all, you know, we'll even age a tiny bit during this one-hour webinar. But aging goes beyond just the biological. It's also psychological, social, spiritual. It's a process. Again, we age over time. It's not an overnight thing. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is I was talking uh, or I heard a physician uh, talk about why he specifically works with the older population instead of, you know, younger age groups or other age groups. And his answer has really stuck with me over time. And he said, I love working with older patients because they're so diverse. He said, babies, they're all pretty much the same. Uh, they're boring to me. But when it comes to older adults, they come to me as a patient with a whole life history, a whole health history. They're so much more complex, and he really likes the challenge. Uh, and I never had, before I had heard him say that, I never really thought about it that way. But I also love working with older adults because they're so diverse. I love hearing their stories. Um, so many of them have lived through, you know, world events. They've lived through adversity, um, and they just have so much wisdom. And so, you know, again, every older adult is different, and we can't just kind of lump them all together. Uh, and we can't look at aging just from, you know, 
that kind of biological standpoint. There's other ways we can kind of look at aging. We can look at the chronological age, the functional age, and the subjective age. So chronological age, that's really how many birthdays a person has had. Um, you know, each one of us has had different numbers of birthdays. And so that makes up our chronological age. And I think that everyone should, personally, I think that everyone should own their age, be proud of their age. Um, there's also functional age, and that's what a person can do and what they are doing. And when I look at my own kind of set of grandparents, they're both roughly, my grandmas are about the same age, one on each side of the family. They're mid-80s. Uh, when I think about their functional age, you know, one of my grandmothers, she is so active. She still drives. She cooks for herself. She goes to the YMCA to a silver sneakers class three days a week. She gardens. She's just very, very active. Um, while my other grandma is a little more limited in her mobility. She has uh, recently given up driving. She needs a little extra support. She really doesn't cook for herself much anymore. My aunt uh, lives with her and, and, and is her primary caregiver. And so, you know, again, they're both about the same age, maybe a year apart. But when you, if you were to look at them, their functional age is very different. So that's why, again, we can't make assumptions about a person based on their chronological age or their functional age alone uh, because, Again, everyone ages differently. And then we have that third type of, uh, of age, that subjective age, and that's really how old a person feels. Uh, there's that old saying, like, you're only old as you feel. And for some folks, that might vary day to day. Some days they might feel 20 years younger. Some days they might wake up and feel the aches and pains and feel like, oh, yeah, I do feel my age today. But there is that subjective component to it. So, again, when we talk about ageism, I think it's important to, or aging, uh, rather, it's important to think about aging from all of these different viewpoints. And um, there's also a lot of, of discussion around, you know, how should we refer to the older population? Should we call them old, older people, seniors, elderly, older adults, aging adults? Um, so there's a lot of kind of debate, and, and I think some people have their own personal preferences. I like to use older adults or aging adults, um, I, but again, um, you know, there is a lot of discussion. And there's also discussion on how do we describe that kind of later part of life? Um, and there is a term being used, uh, it's a little more um, recent that it's come out, but elderhood. And this is used to describe another state, stage of life. And it's really growth-oriented, and that's why I really like it. Uh, because as we get older, it doesn't mean that we can no longer learn and grow. And um, in fact, it's the opposite. We can still learn and grow and try new things and do uh, and do things. And so there's a great book. I know Molly will talk a little bit more about this, but it's called Ageism Unmasked by Tracy uh, Gendrum. And she talks about elderhood in her book and challenges people to reflect on their elderhood. You know, who am I now and who do I want to become? We can still become someone in that, uh, that later chapter of our lives. And so uh, elderhood, again, is, is one term that is coming about. So I know that, uh, again, we have some uh, different types uh, of, sorry, different definitions that we've just gone over, but there's also t different types of ageism that exist. And so... Uh, when we talk about ageism, it really refers to the stereotypes, prejudice, and discrimination t 
towards others or towards yourself, oneself, based on age. So, um, you know, we can even be ageist towards ourselves, which I think is something we maybe don't reflect on all that often. And we're going to talk more about that during this presentation. When it comes to the stereotypes, that's really about how we think. Uh, and when it comes to ageism, uh, there really are distorted characteristics that are used to group older people together. Uh, we kind of just, again, lump people all together uh, in that older adult category, and, and, and that can cause us to create those stereotypes. Then there's also the prejudice that exists. That's, you know, how we feel. It's, when it comes to ageism, it's the unfavorable opinion or feeling formed regarding older adults without sufficient knowledge, thought, or reason. So, again, we're just kind of, uh, you know, assuming something about them. You might not have all the facts. And then uh, there's discrimination, how we act. And, and ageism, this is unjustified behavior towards older adults based on characteristics. And this can really lead to exclusion, oppression, and marginalization. And then there's another type of ageism that might not get as much press uh, or time uh, being talked about, and that's positive or benevolent ageism. And that's kind of tricky because it's viewing older people as, you know, warm and uh, kind, but also incompetent. You know, it can translate to a form of uh, prejudice that is masked with respect and kindness. Uh, and it also kind of assumes that, you know, older people need protecting. So, um, again, I think it's really just important for all of us to be aware of the types of ageism that exist um, so that we can hopefully um, help to move away from ageism and more towards, um, you know, that embracing of aging. But I think uh, what will be really interesting is, uh, Molly next is going to go over the history of ageism and kind of how it has come about in our society today. So Molly, I'll pass it over to you. Thank you, Lakeland. Um, and hi, everybody. I'm uh, Lakeland's right. This is a really interesting, the history of ageism is very interesting. You know, Lakeland and I are both gerontologists and we took several classes about theories in aging and we learned all about why, why we have this field and where this all came from. And um, it's just really interesting. So um, when we think about, uh, you know, humanity and how it all and how people have um, changed throughout the world. We go back to uh, in the beginning when there was lots of farmland, and that's kind of how the United States, you know, for example, had a lot of farmers in the beginning, right? Older people were considered very active, very productive contributors to the economy and to society. And to society. Uh, they were on the farm, and they had their families on the farm, and everybody was working on the farm. This was because before the Industrial Revolution, farming was the way people made their living and where they got their food and, and how they connected with neighbors and built communities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so in the late 1700s and early 1800s, there was a very significant cultural, technological, and socioeconomic shift that occurred. And what this shift did was produce the development of an economy that was dominated by machine manufacturing, which is what we refer to as the Industrial Revolution. So the steam engine, all of those different different 
you know, inventions were coming to play during that time. This was a very big turning point. This is where attitudes towards older people changed. And here's why. Here, let's think about this. So the family dynamic really started to change. Not everyone was farming or lived on the farm anymore. And it created sort of these separate living and working places. So this, this resulted obviously in a decline in the family all living together or this multi-generational family, household, family, uh, farming concept or family job concept. And families weren't living together. So when, when people aged, the older adults started to be viewed as vulnerable and dependent and needing care. And, and so caregiving became a burden because, again, they were in separate locations that built, you know, people were in cities, you know, we were building bigger cities and people were in cities, you know, being a part of all the, uh, you know, the building of this new way of building our economy, right? So what happened is, you know, caregiving became a burden, it came really, really hard. And they're started to create these, what they called poor houses. And it was, again, some, you know, you have to look at it as it was segregation. So they were these poor houses for the needy and the aged is when families could no longer care. So they, they started creating these poor houses. So these homes resulted in what we call sort of this structural ageism concept. Basically, there was an, an adequate care Things weren't going great in those um, four houses, so to speak. And there was a need for some regulation, policy laws, those kinds of things. So what these new laws did was create um, the regulation of these homes. Other laws that came along that time, though, too, really started to, to look at this population and grant health care to them, for example. Think Social Security, Medicare. Think about the environmental laws that then came along, which were the um, ADA, for example, just got created during that time. So when we look at, think about this structural ageism that was kind of a result of this major shift, we really um, have to think about it as deprioritizing these age cohorts through laws, policies, and practices. Now, I know that sounds rough, and I think it sounds rough, too, about deprioritizing, because in a way, we think, oh, we prioritize them, we're taking care of them. But we have to think of it as it is reflected as ageism, structural ageism, because it separated out these people from everybody else, this group of people from everybody else, right? So on the next slide, I really want to look at the ripple effect of this, or and, and really start to understand the history of the aging movement and maybe why we're all here today or why we're in this, this field. So the fascinating part of all of this, again, when re-looking re at all of this and putting this, con this content together for you all, um, aging, this field and this movement is really only a little over 100 years old, if you think about it. So you can see there in... Um, 1909, we had the first public commission on aging in the United States. Our first textbooks on geriatrics were published in 1914. 1935, we get Social Security. 1950, we get the National Council on Aging. In 58, we have AARP founded. And then we get in 1965, that's the Older Americans Act and the Medicare and Medicare enacted, right? 
So you can see how the chronological age affected policies and the creation of all these organizations, all again designed to support and advocate for aging adults. Unfortunately, in our recent years, there hasn't been a lot of new legislation. I mean, aside from the Social Security age maybe increasing a little bit, retirement age changing, which really isn't a policy, but these politicians, they talk a lot about it, and they talk about changes or cuts to Medicare, but nothing's really changing. So we've really hit a stagnant part in our um, government and in our in our country. Even President Biden made a comment in his 2023 State of the Union um, address where he said, getting seniors who want to stay in their home, in their homes, the care they need to do so is really, really one of his top priorities. But again, we haven't seen a lot of impact there yet either. So we walk through this because it's really important to understand this history, how we got here. It gives us the context. It makes us more aware. And really, to me, it was fascinating just sort of like understanding how we got here and where, and where this all came from. And when we understand all of this, it A, helps us educate everybody else, and B, it helps us mitigate our own perceptions or the unfavorable opinion of aging adults, or it helps other people understand, you know, how important it is to uh, not take this group of people and think of them in a, in a different light. So the, it, it sort of was, if you think about it, kind of just an advancement in our world that resulted in this, in this sort of movement. Um, one of the areas, though, that we really need to become more aware of is the depiction of aging in the media and in popular culture. So I want to take you to this next slide and show you quite a few examples of um, this slide that Lakeland and I put together. It's things we've come across over the years or in the media or wherever. And I'm going to start, we're both going to comment on this because we both have some pretty big trigger points here. But my aha moment was in the greeting card aisle. And I had this, this moment and I was reading these cards. And I don't know if you can see that very good on the screen, but the card on this screen says, my memory is so bad. And the other gal says, how bad is it? And the original gal says, how bad is what? And it just, I just had this moment in the this, in this store and I was just, oh my gosh, I can't believe as a gerontologist, I have been buying these cards and contributing to this issue. So again, it's a big self-awareness thing. So I don't buy those cards anymore, you know. Um, let's look at some other, some other examples on this slide. I think another fun one. Well, maybe it's a more recent one is Madonna up here, right, at the top. I don't know if you guys all saw her on the Grammys or you saw the news after the Grammys, but here she looks fantastic. I don't know. She's in her, I don't even know if she's early 60s or late 50s. You can tell that she's done a lot to uh, preserve her looks. But in, in February, when she was on the Grammys, she got tons of backlash for how terrible she looked. And it was quite disturbing because again, we're used to her being so beautiful and she's sort of defying aging, but at the same time, then she gets just so many negative comments about how terrible she looks. So it's, it's really hard to win sometimes when you're a celebrity, right? Like, wouldn't you say that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, and it, I think you and I had a little bit of fun putting this slide together yeah. just because 
it was like, how do we narrow it down? There's so many examples we could put on the screen. Um, and there's that uh, game in the kids' game aisle. Uh, actually, uh, I know one of the uh, individuals that works at ASA, she posted this on her LinkedIn page and was so upset about it. Greedy Granny, that is a game. And it looks like her dentures are flying out. Um, it just really is disheartening to see that you know, that's how we're depicting older adults to younger people. And those younger people are our future. So we should instead be being, being, um, more thoughtful about how we teach younger people about aging. We should um, encourage more positive uh, interactions. I also have below that the picture of the 100th day of school. I uh, went on a mini rant on my on my LinkedIn page about this because um, here you see all of these kids dressed up as grandmas and grandpas, which they're adorable. I think that it's um, you know, it's adorable to see them dressed up, but I, you know, encourage teachers instead, why aren't we having them interact with somebody who's 100 years old, or maybe in addition to dressing up, also interact with someone who's 100 years old, teach them about what it's like to live for an entire century, what wisdom can be gained. So, um, you know, again, of course, there's also the uh, the health and beauty industry, Um you know, there's ageism when it comes to technology. People assume that older adults can't figure out how to watch Netflix or other streaming services. Uh, and then you also look at TV shows. That bottom right-hand side, um, that's a, a, a recent show that I watched, American Auto. Uh, and they laid off um, a bunch of folks in the show and realized that they were all over a certain age. Uh, and so they they kind of dove into uh, ageism in the workplace, and of course, in a, a lighthearted way because it is a, a comedy show, uh, but it is starting to show up more and more. I think more people are, are addressing it, having conversations about it, um, but I think as consumers of media and consumers of popular culture, I think it's just important for us to be aware. Molly, anything else to add on this slide you know, about... The what yeah, the only other yeah, the only other thing I would add was that is the over the hill party pack. It, how many of you, I mean, you've seen it in the aisles. It, it's all the blacks, there all the decorations are black and it's over the hill and it's uh there's, you know, canes, there's all, like all those things on there, you know, caution, move slowly, all of these different things. And I think, you know, I've been, I'm not a big celebrate your birthday with a big splash, but I can see why people, as you do age, don't want these parties because the, the decorations are even negative. They're, they're not these fun, bright, colorful, you know, uh, party celebrations. They're these dark and gloomy and you're over the hill kind of talk, which is, is uh, there's a better way to frame that, right? There's, I mean, there's a lot of really great ways to frame that. So I just call out the party pack too, as you're, that's another one of those things that I've noticed, you know, at birthday parties. Uh, actually, somebody uh, recently asked me, they, they wanted to get their Bunko Club together and they were going to dress like old ladies. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And they said, oh, we just thought it would be funny. And, you know, we all think we're old ladies already. And, the, and these ladies are 50s, in their 50s, early 50s. And I was like, do you really think that's a good way to sort of celebrate aging and celebrate that you are all this vibrant group of women who are getting together and, and having some fun? And she's like, oh, gosh, I think you're right. No, that isn't a great idea, is it? And it, so it's just these little thing nuances that we can do as 
we grow our awareness of where we can, you know, really make an impact on on others. But Lakeland, I, I think mm. this ARP has done a nice job. And I, I'd love yeah. for you to talk about their study uh, coming up here on the next few slides. Absolutely. Yes, AARP has done so much in this area of ageism. Uh, and the study that Molly just referenced, again, I have the link to it here. We won't be able to go through it all, but um, I really found it fascinating. They looked at, um, you know, images used to depict older adults in online news and in social media. And they found that older adults were significantly underrepresented compared to younger peers. And they did a study uh, looking at images uh, both kind of positive and negative, and they showed them to a group of, uh, of adults in the U.S., 18 and older, and had them then complete an, an implicit association test to measure kind of the implicit or unconscious attitude that they had towards uh, these various photos. And then, uh, then they put together a set of recommendations. Um, so I wanted to share just some of the, the images from... Um, the study. So on this slide, it's the more negative images. And then on the next slide, it's the more positive images. Uh, and they found that aging advocates and communicators should consider not only showing how aging and older people are framed, but also um, they should also focus not only on how they speak about it, but also how they how they depict them in, again, these photographs. So uh, these two examples, the top set of photos really focused in on mobility. So in these more kind of negative images, it showed a person with limited mobility and showed them unengaged. So you can see in the top left, the gentleman's, you know, kind of staring out the window. Uh, below that, the gentleman in the wheelchair is not engaging in the conversation with the others. Uh, and then the photo on the right, uh, the woman just kind of seems to be staring off into space. We can't tell if, if there's anyone else there. But uh, again, uh, they're not the most uplifting photos. Then below, on that second set of photos, that's focusing more in on technology. And these pictures show the older adult more uh, in an incompetent way. You know, uh, there's always a, a person there with them, helping them with the technology. They look confused. They look maybe frustrated. Uh, and so these were the negative images. But then they showed more positive images. Um, so in that top set of uh, of photos, yes, the person might have limited mobility, but they are engaged. You can see that they're laughing. Uh, they're engaging in a group conversation. They are out and about in the community. Uh, so just because someone has limited mobility, it doesn't mean we should be depicting them uh, disengaged from society. Uh, we should be depicting them in a more positive light. Then there's that second, again, back to that technology. And in these photos, it shows the older adult as competent. That woman on the left, she's using her iPad to help cook a recipe. Uh, the gentleman uh, in the top right, he's using it maybe for guitar lessons or uh, using his iPad to pull up his music that he's playing. And then in the bottom, uh, she's playing with what looks like a grandchild, uh, a video game, which you know, not many older adults are depicted to be interested in video games. So, again, this study, uh, uh, it found that, you know, these positive images um, are something that we should be incorporating more and more. So, there are a set of recommendations included, you know, select images that 
counter the stereotypes while also maintaining authenticity. You know, these photos don't look overly staged. They look like, um, you know, the person is really engaging in these activities. And then the next recommendation is images should depict older adults engaging with others in their surroundings. They shouldn't be, you know, in the corner staring out the window. Um, also, another recommendation, use images that depict older adults as competent, confident, and capable because so many of them are, the majority of them are. And then also, um, you know, whenever appropriate, use images that reflect an upbeat mood um, in their subjects, as, as well as the aesthetic surroundings. You know, have nice lighting or settings. It doesn't also always have to be, you know, dark um, images. And then their final recommendation is depicting older adults in positive settings engaged in positive activities. So uh, again, you can go out and read more about this study. You can dive deeper into the various categories. I just shared two of them. But um, as I was reading this study, it made me pause and think, you know, in my line of work, in my organization, so how do we depict the older adults that we are interacting with? Um, do we focus too much on the negative? Um, and, and maybe in our small little ways, we can start to incorporate um, more kind of positive imaging. So, um, you know, if, and if we, if we don't do that, it's going to continue to foster this negative uh, ageist um, kind of depiction of older adults. And that can really, ageism can have some negative effects. And so Molly is going to talk about that more on the next slide here. Yes. So um, ageism does affect a lot of parts of our lives. And when Lakeland and I put this together and we went to understand some of these different, the harms to, of ageism, we were absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of information, the amount of studies that have been done on this topic. So on the slide, I'm just going to share a couple of the big hits. Of course, health is always at the top of the list, right? So people with positive attitudes about aging live on average seven and a half years longer Negative self-perceptions can lead to decreased autonomy. We all know what that can lead to. And then we have to think about stress. We all know the, the negative impacts of stress on our life. But when we add it on to thinking poorly of ourselves or thinking uh, this negative self, self-talk about getting older, that's stressful. And stress is terrible for our bodies, our health, our mind, all of it. We also have to think about business. It's bad for business. So when you think about ageism, and there's a lot of protections in place now, but older people are kept out of the workforce. They, there's a retirement age. Um, you know, some people adhere to that, some don't, which is great. But when you're not in the workforce, there can be less productive roles and maybe they're unable to contribute to economic growth. I think if we all pause and think about uh, our life, being productive or contributing to something, whatever that might be, is really a big thing that keeps us going every day, right? We're also thinking, we also have to think about ageism when businesses aren't really focused on um, aging adults or they're missing out on good clientele, very potential clientele. I think the other thing about business that we have to think a lot about is when, they, when an older person does decide to retire and leaves the business, or if we pass up somebody and we bring on somebody new because, 
you know, that quote, we need fresh blood or whatever it might be. We have to understand the knowledge and experience that these people have and that they've maybe worked at our organizations a long time. And we have to ask ourselves, are we learning from them or are we completing some sort of knowledge transfer that there is rich, rich information that can very much help a lot of business uh, grow, be productive, you know, get to the next level, whatever it might be. So we really have to think about that. Also, um, another effect of ageism is it contributes to inequality. Uh, there's obviously some social ex exclusion, as Lakeland even just showed on the last slide in some of those pictures. Um, and then part two of this seminar, or this webinar, we're really going to talk about the healthcare quality of delivery. So bottom line is ageism poses lots of limitations because it diminishes our sense of personhood when it takes away power, motivation, autonomy, and agency. But I think a really um, interesting concept to think about too is attitude. So I wanna look at our attitudes uh, about ageism on the next slide. So again, this was very fascinating information that uh, we've learned. And basically, when we think about attitudes, you're probably saying, why are we gonna talk about attitudes? Well, our attitudes really represent uh, our emotional and mental states, and it influences our thoughts and actions. So attitudes encompass our preferences, our evaluation of people, of, of issues, of events, and our attitudes really have three components, and they intersect in, about and in, in sort of tell us how we think, feel, and act. So I'm going to use this, this classic stereotype of older people are bad drivers. And I'm gonna walk through those three components you see on the slide. So the first one's a, the cognitive component of your attitude. So this is the belief. So older people are bad drivers. You know, we, that's one of those things that people say, of course, we all know that's not true. It, some young people are bad drivers. There's a lot of people are bad drivers. There's a lot of good drivers though. It doesn't matter what your age is, right? But if our attitude, if our belief is that they're bad drivers, our, our emotional part of the attitude is, we might be saying, I don't want to be in the car. I dislike being in the car with an older driver. So that's more of like how I'm taking this thought and applying sort of this emotional aspect to it. And then, of course, the behavioral component, what we, what we do with this attitude or how this attitude comes out in a behavior, I'm going to take the car keys away from someone Is that old or or call and report an older driver to whatever because they had a little bit of, um, you know, a fender bender or whatever. So I think it's really important that we understand it. Um, our attitudes are crucial and our attitudes about aging form our bias or our thoughts about ageism. So it's really, really important that we look at this and think about where, how our attitudes come into play. I want to take attitudes, though, one step further, and I want you to look at it in this way. There really are four sort of attitudes about aging or about age, and I want to talk through this, and I think this is really good self-awareness, self-learning opportunities here. So, of course, age denial, this is when we are probably fearing getting older, maybe we're in denial about it. And when that happens, you know, we tend to procrastinate. We, we're just like, oh, we pretend that's not happening. It's gonna, we're gonna put it off for a while. But this is where um, 
you know, and think about the things we put off when we're aging, like the important documents that we need to all fill out, uh, the healthcare screenings that we might need. But we, we just don't want to do it because we just don't want to face it. So that's kind of this denial sort of attitude that people may have, may or may not have. Another one is age adaptation. So this is more about um, accepting aging, not being passive about it, but you're adapting with what comes along with it. This motivates somebody or may motivate somebody to plan ahead for things like home modifications. For example, if you're going to redo your bathroom, maybe you put a walk-in shower instead of a, the tub, or maybe you start to downsize your home, or maybe you think about long-term care insurance. You know, there, there's some, some good thoughts, the good attitudes about adapting so you're starting to get prepared. There's another attitude, though, and, and this is an interesting one, the age irrelevance. So I'm just not paying attention to it. I don't consider it a major factor. Um, age is just a number, as, as we've talked about. It's just a chronological number. And this can go either way. It can lead to sort of that denial or procrastination or I'm not even going to think about it. It's not even a thing. But it also can be a positive thing. So we're we're not limiting ourselves. We're just We're just going to keep going throughout life and living a good life and, and doing the things that make us happy and so on and so forth. So that that one can go kind of either way. It can, it can lead to the denial aspect or it can lead to some really good um, planning and positive attitude, right? And then finally, there's this concept about age affirmation. This is really a, probably an ideal attitude to have or, or potentially, right? All of us realizing that we are going to age uh, there are goals associated with milestones, and we make a plan for a future, uh, for the future. You know, we're really, we start to prepare ourselves for it. And hopefully, we're all striving for this stage. Again, one group that uh, continues to do this is our, oh, wait, one, one second here. So sorry, I got lost in the Yes, it, one group that continues to do this is is ARP. I know we've we've talked about a study they've also done, but I want we want to bring you uh, some more resources that they've recently done, um, and I'll have Lakeland take that one. Thanks, Molly, um, and thank you for sharing those attitudes. And um, I, I really like that age affirmation uh, attitude. Uh, and ARP, like you said, has been leading the way in this uh, for quite some time. And I know ASA has also uh, been really instrumental in um, in this movement as well. But the CEO of AARP, Joanne Jenkins, she wrote a book called Disrupt Aging. Uh, it's a great read. We'll, we included that as one of our resources at the end. Uh, but she talks in her book about the new realities of aging. Uh, if you think about it, you know, Molly went over the history of aging um, and, uh, and ageism, uh, and now we find ourselves in a new reality. Uh, people are living longer, uh, living um, to be 100. I know somebody in the chat said, you know, young people today have a 50% chance of living to be over 100. How amazing is that? I would love to live to be 100. Um, I know not everyone maybe shares that that uh, that goal, um, but in this new reality of aging, she points out a variety of things. You can see it summed up on here on the page, but she first points out that aging should be viewed really uh, as living. We should not encourage and nor should we want aging adults to withdraw from society. Uh, and, you know, she acknowledges, yes, some aspects of life get a little tougher as we age, 
but some things also get easier. Um, but regardless, it is still living. Uh, another point she makes is that there are 50 million shades of gray. Uh, you might be thinking, okay, what, what does she mean by that? Um, and she points out like, while on average people are living longer, there are disparities that exist in people over the age of 50. And therefore not everyone is truly living longer. We know that there are links between poverty, health, and life expectancy. Uh, we know that, that race plays into it, uh, gender, um, uh, you know, your health status. There's a lot of things that play into how long we are going to live and the quality of life that we will have past age 50. And so it's really important to acknowledge that and to be mindful of that. The next point she made uh, makes is that older people are contributors, not burdens. You know, in our in our colored ages history as a, as a, as a nation, we may in the past uh, we might have seen older adults as a drain on our system, as a burden. But in fact, older adults are still contributing to our economy. They provide valuable services and roles. Uh, many of them are still working. I know at, at Home Instead, we have a lot of, of people over the age of 50 that work for us as care professionals, and they're wonderful at their jobs. Uh, there's also many that are volunteering. Uh, there are many that are grandparents. Uh, and, and also many that are caregivers. Maybe they're caring for a spouse or a sibling. And so they are still very much contributing to our society. They have a lot to give. Another point she makes is that aging spurs innovation. I have seen this ramp up significantly in the last five to seven years. There's so much innovation happening in the aging space. Um, you know, I, I attended the American Society on Aging Conference uh, last month, and there were so many vendors that are technology-based uh, that are there and sharing how they're enhancing the lives of aging adults. We're also seeing innovation in business. Uh, we're also seeing social innovation. So, uh, you know, older adults, they really want solutions that help them age on their own terms. They want to live independently. They want to live a full, meaningful life. And so innovation can help make sure that that's a reality for people. So um, I always... I get the chance regularly to speak to young young people, and I talk about how much innovation there is in aging. Uh, and then her final point was that sometimes perceptions of aging are out of sync with realities. Uh, they're shaped by how, uh, or are perceptions shaped by popular culture, um, but for so many people, that's not the reality. So we need to create our own expectations on how we view and treat aging. Um, and we should see it more as a longevity bonus. You know, we're living longer than prior generations. We're, a lot of people are uh, living longer, healthier lives. So what do we do with that extra gift of time? And these new realities, again, can help us shape the future we want for ourselves. So everyone on this call, uh, I mentioned I have a goal of living to 100. Uh, I would love that. I want to age successfully. But I also think that the term aging successfully has also been a little misconstrued. So I, I went out and we found some, uh, some depictions of successful aging. And I don't know about you, I would love to be these people on the screen, but I don't know if I'll be running marathons at 80 uh, or be a gymnast or surfing in my 70s. Uh, but studies that have, that have focused on uh, super agers or successful aging, they've really found that the commonalities lie in being active, challenging ourselves, maintaining social connections, uh, embracing challenge, 
uh, and not letting your age limit you and what you can do. So um, with that in mind, I'm going to pass it over to Molly, who is going to walk through some questions that we can ask ourselves uh, when it comes to aging and ageism. Yes, and it's great to see those pictures um, that Lakeland showed about people embracing aging. And I just, I think it's good for us to take a moment to really reflect about ageism in our, in our own selves and how we think about it personally. So I want, I'm just going to read these questions to you. I want you to just think about them again. Hopefully you're going to download the slides afterwards so you can have these, but think about these questions. Are you avoiding, do you do things because you're afraid to age? You know, are you feeling too old or out of place in scenarios? Do you say that? Like, I'm not going to go to this place because that's the young crowd. You know, think about those things. Um, do you fear the negative aspects? Like, what will happen to you and that there's not a lot you can do about it? Is is that your frame? Or are you more like the slide we just saw and, and you're really like, oh, I can, there's lots I can do to age well in your, you know, by eating right and exercising, all those things. Do you equate looking old with looking bad? I'm going to be honest. I know this is our rhetorical questions and you aren't answering, but I'll be honest and answer. This one's hard for me. It's a one I think about, and it's, I admire these people that aren't wearing makeup anymore. And uh, I just have quite a few wrinkles these days. And so this is a work in progress for me, but I think it's a, I, I, I don't look at it as looking bad. I think of it as I don't look like myself, but it is me. And so those are the, the reframing that I keep trying to tell myself as I'm applying foundation every day. Okay. Do you pretend you're younger than you are? Do you lie about your age when people ask? Do you, um, you know, do things that you think make you young still and do things that you did in your younger life? You know, that can be a sign of denial, but it also can be a sign of just you're living your purpose and that's your life, too. So don't overthink that one. And then um, do you associate certain chronological age milestones as over the hill? I'm As a person about to turn 50, I've definitely had to reframe that concept. It, I don't even consider it over the hill at even a little bit. So that, that took some time to think about. I think that's slowly starting to change over these years. And I think that's a good thing that we're all, that we're all embracing. How do you view your own successful aging? You know, you, we are all in charge of our own journey. This, the number isn't. Let's just remember that one. That's, that's kind of one of the mottos, like an aha moment. Again, I took away from this presentation. Okay, so I just want to talk one more thing. I want, uh, on the next slide, I want you to own your own elderhood. So as joining this webinar today, you've already done the hardest part. You're doing the work. You're recognizing it. You're being, becoming aware of it. And when you think about why, just why are you compelled to join this movement? Has something happened? Is it, you know, think about your why so that when you talk to people like I have slowly Lakeland and I have, you know, replying on LinkedIn or, or posting stories or talking to our friends, um, what's your why? Think about your why. And then really, it's, it's really about how do you, what do you want your elderhood to look like? What does successful aging look like? Start thinking about this now. Start thinking about this no matter what age you are. Really start to understand what you want it to be. 
And I think one of the big takeaways is really to, to make a plan for that. Um, a lot of us seem to think that, that aging, it's, it's a vulnerability state. And we want to naturally protect ourselves from, you know, thinking about death and all those different things. Again, that's a coping mechanism. So we really need to think about being in control, making a plan. Again, tons of research on even the impact of making a plan when as you age. Uh, Dr. Sylvia Sorensen, I, I, I uh, invite you all to check out some of her research about how when people have plans and they make plans about their what their death looks like, what their funeral looks like, what their what their care looks like. They live longer, they live happier. Just it's in the research, which is great. Okay, let's we're running a little low on time. So I'm gonna pass the next slide to Lakeland. No, to me. And again, I want you to sort of to look at these questions. Again, you're going to get the slide deck and you can look at these questions, take some time to really reflect on them. I'm not going to read all of these today, but um I really want you to understand and think about these things as you're going in your daily life now. What terminology are you using, for example? Uh, what what uh, do you talk about uh, mindful ageism with others? Do you do you understand the perceptions of ageism? So let's go to the next slide. This again, as we're running low on on time, and I'll turn this one over to Lakeland, and then we'll wrap up with a couple resources. Absolutely. I know we could talk about this for hours, Molly. Uh, it's, it's sad that we had to crunch it all into an hour. And I know I see some great questions and I apologize in advance. We might not be able to get to all of them. But really what it boils down to is chronological age. It's not the cause of anything. Everyone ages differently. And while chronological age can be useful, um, it, it is definitely necessary to document chronological age. I'm not saying that we should throw that notion out the window. But I think it's important for us make sure that we're not defining aging by our chronological age. Look at all those different uh, um, um, images up there on the screen. Everyone's aging journey looks different. Uh, and it really, uh, to reduce it down to just chronological age or our life expectancy or mortality rates, uh, that's really, um, you know, it's not embracing the individualism that exists within all of us. And again, um, we could talk about this forever, but we did want to leave you with a few resources. Uh, on this next slide, the World Health Organization, they have a global campaign to end ageism. You know, we've been talking about the U.S. a lot, but ageism does exist across the globe. Um, you know, some cultures seem to revere their older members of society a little um, differently um, than we do here in the United States, but this can be a great resource to you. They have great graphics like the one you see on the screen. So be sure to visit their website. Again, you can download these slides. I've hyperlinked to uh, that website there. Then also, uh, we have some of the, the books that we've been talking about today. There's also the National Center to Reframe Aging, which has some fantastic resources. I know ASA is also doing a lot in this space. They have a partnership with Shutterstock, and they have uh, images that really celebrate and, and, and highlight older adults. And so maybe your organization goes to the Shutterstock gallery, um, and maybe Victoria could help us drop the link out, out there to all of you for, for that. Um, and also, um, I know I saw that ASA is doing a session next week on May 10th about how to be a anti-ageist 
social media influencers. So we'd encourage you to continue on your journey of learning about ageism and the small ways that you can make an impact. Uh, maybe it's instead of buying those greeting cards, uh, you look up Age Friendly Vibes, which is a greeting card company that Molly and I absolutely love. Again, it's Age Friendly Vibes. Go to their website, check it out. Maybe even that's just a small thing you can do. And then reflect on your own aging journey. How do you want to age? And how can you be kind of that positive influence, maybe amongst your family members or friends, uh, and help people start to look at aging a little bit differently? So with that, I just want to say thank you all. Uh, I'll flip to the next slide quick. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to Molly and myself. But we really just thank you for tuning in today, and we hope that you have a wonderful rest, rest of the week. Thank you so much, Lakeland and Molly. I know that we are short on time, but there's one uh, area that did uh, consistently come up during the presentation, which was about ageism and DEI. So I don't know if you can briefly mm. just talk about that. Um, you know, one of the questions was framed as, is there a difference in response in responses of experiencing ageism in relation to gender and or race? You know, that's a great question. And if you, if I had more time to dive into some of those studies that I referenced, that Molly and I referenced, they do break it down into different age categories that are a little more narrowed by race, by gender. Um, but I do think as companies look at DE&I within their organization, do they include age, diversity of age as part of that discussion. I know we focus on, um, you know, various aspects of DE&I, but I don't always think that age uh, comes into that. It, do you have a diverse workforce when it comes to age? And are you embracing that? Are you helping to foster intergenerational connections? Um, so, Molly, do you have anything to add to, to that discussion no, around age? No, I was going to say that almost exactly, that, that it is to your point about it being part of the DEI strategy. And yes, you are correct. There is a lot of um, more granular information about ageism in the different races, and for sure, yes. It's just an, an hour of time. We just did not have enough time to cover every single aspect. I mean, we've left out big chunks, <laughs> obviously, but more to come, though. I mean, this, this is good because we can bring future webinars with future topics on these on these. So that's a really good suggestion. Yeah, thank you so much. It, it was a lot of information and we have limited time, but we have a lot more wonderful webinars that are going to be presented by Home Instead um, with more information. And it has been such a pleasure having you all here today. Uh, thank you, Home Instead, for bringing this webinar to our audience. Please be sure to check out upcoming webinars at www.asaging.org, including part two of Addressing Ageism, where we will explore ageism in healthcare. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of Empowering Professionals in Aging, presented by Home Instead and hosted by the American Society on Aging. For more information about Home Instead, visit homeinstead.com.